All right, if you will, please take your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah, chapter number 2. Jeremiah, chapter number 2. It's kind of unique that Brother Sean uh, chose that song tonight. I'm not, I wasn't necessarily going to mention it, but it actually ties in pretty well with the message. Uh, the reason that song is my favorite song is the picture involved with the last verse. I just think it's tremendous, almost po- poetry, uh, the way the, the, the songwriter lays it out. He says, if we with ink the ocean fill, uh, and, and, and my mind imagines a group of men trying to, to fill the ocean uh, that we know with ink. If we with ink the ocean fill, and, uh, and, and every stalk on earth a quill. If, if, if every single stalk could be turned into a quill and the ocean be filled with ink, if every man on earth were a scribe by trade, if we, did, we had no contractors, if we had no preachers, if we had no politicians, all we had were, were scribes. And so we had plentiful ink and innumerable amounts of quills. And every single person on earth was a scribe. To, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. And nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky. I love that. And it's a beautiful picture of the love of God that we so freely partake of. Thank the Lord for it. The reason I say it's fitting for the sermon tonight is actually in the book of Jeremiah, chapter number 2, we find a, a man who does not feel qualified to deliver the message that God has given him. In fact, when God told him he was going to be a preacher for him, uh, Jeremiah looks at him and says, but I'm just a youth. In other words, I'm a novice. I am unqualified. I am not fit to be your preacher. God said, Jeremiah, I've known you from just the time you were in your mother's womb. I knew you before you were a twinkle in your mother's eye. That's what God told him. I mean, that's the Southern King James version of it, but that's what he says. And he says, I've known you and I have destined you to be this man, to be my preacher. Turns out that when you stay in God's will, you are uniquely qualified for the position that you're going to fill. Jeremiah didn't feel qualified, but we'll see early on in the book of Jeremiah here in chapter number 2. Jeremiah is an awesome preacher. He uses words uh, uh, like like a, a poet. He is a craftsman, if you will, in the stories that he paints and the, the, the history that he recites in, uh, about Israel and, and the way that the pictures that he says to us so uniquely qualify for what Israel was and had become. In fact, in this chapter, we'll actually stay in it for a few weeks, and I see 11 pictures of a broken nation. We'll start reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying... And I think every preacher ought to have the word of the Lord come to him instead of him go to the Lord with the word. And Jeremiah was receiving from the Lord and then giving to the people. It's a bad thing when the preacher is getting from the people and sending it back up to the Lord. He says, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee. The kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals. When thou wentest after me in the wilderness and in a land that was not sown, 
Israel was holiness unto the Lord. And the first fruits of his increase. All that devour him shall offend, even shall come upon them, saith the Lord. Hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord. What iniquity have your fathers found in me? That they are gone far from me, and have walked after vanity, and, after, and are become vain. Neither said they, Where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, that led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and of pits, through a land of drought and of the shadow of death, through a land that no man passed through and where no man dwelt? And I brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But when ye entered, ye defiled my land and made mine heritage an abomination. The priests said not, Where is the Lord? And they that handle the law knew me not. The pastors also transgressed against me. And the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. Wherefore I will yet plead with you, saith the Lord. And with your children's children will I plead. Aren't you glad that God does not give up on us easily? Well, if there's anybody that deserves... God to give up on them, it's me. But God does not give up on us. He fights for our attention and our affection. He will not give up without a fight. Verse number 10. For pass over the isles of Chittim and see. And see unto Kedar and consider diligently. And see if there be such a thing. Hath a nation changed their gods, which are not yet gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this. And be horribly afraid, be ye very desolate, saith the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken the fountain of living waters and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns. That can hold no water. Father, today I ask that you'd be with the sermon. Please, Lord, as I've already begged you, please be with me as I deliver. And Lord, please be with every person in this auditorium that the things that take place outside this room may for a moment be put on hold as we focus on your word. Lord, please meet with us in a special way, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, things that are broken are not easily assumed broken. If it's going to be broken, you need to check and see if it is. I'll give you an example of this. Today, my family, my in-laws and my wife, and Charlie and Amanda, and my beautiful daughters were at lunch. And there we were sitting down. And Bailey, actually for the last few weeks, has been on a, a good spell. And we feel like we're making progress. And man, the Lord's doing some good things in her life. We're just praying she gets saved soon. And that would be a wonderful change in her life, I believe, because right now we think she's possessed of the devil. We're not entirely sure. But uh, Bailey actually has been doing pretty well. We went to lunch today, and as those that are parents know, uh, uh, when a child is tired, that's not the time to take them into a public venue. And so she was rather tired, and there's a lot of really nice people in the restaurant trying to enjoy their meal. And one of the ways that nowadays, I don't know what you parents did before media and devices came along, 
did you hand us an etch-a-sketch and just say, go at it, or what did you do? But I tell you, one of the ways that we kind of try hushing our children down is we put a phone in front of them and ask them to just watch the phone so that way they won't cry. It worked for a little bit for Bailey today. But at one point, uh, my wife said something to Bailey, and she had my phone in her hands, and she said something to Bailey, and it was a command like, don't do that, or Bailey, you need to go with such and such, or, or maybe my mother-in-law was getting up from the table, and Bailey didn't like what was going on. And so Bailey decided that the best option at this moment was to chunk my phone against the concrete. I'm not entirely sure why that was the process of thought that went through her mind, but she was effective at the execution of that said process of thought. And uh, Brett Favre could not have thrown my phone harder against the pavement as she throws it up and, you know, the restaurant goes into slow motion. The chef there at the hibachi grill is throwing eggs up into the air and the spatula is slow down and, and I'm reaching for my phone in slow motion. Man, when that phone hit the concrete, everybody in the restaurant turned and looked. It was loud. I said, Bailey, I'm so thankful for you. (laughs) And everything give thanks. Boy, it was rough. And my wife begins to tend to Bailey. My mother-in-law, we don't even know what she does half the time. I still don't think she does that much. But she's there and she's tending to somebody. Maybe she's polishing my father-in-law's head. I'm not entirely sure. But there she was. Nobody was worried about my phone. Everybody in the room is attending to a child. And I'm like, we can buy another child. Those phones are hard to come by. Man alive, it was a rough deal. And I finally spoke up. You asked him, I said, well, somebody check and see if my phone is in a million pieces or not. You know, you've been there too. Maybe you put the phone in between your legs and you're driving. You go to get out of your car. You slide out. Man, that phone crashes and slides against the pavement. What do you always do? It's like some piano players in the back of your vehicle. Dum, dum, da, dum, 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 dum. And you pick up that screen just to see that the front's not cracked. Oh, glory, hallelujah, thank you, Lord. What a good day, right? We all know what we're talking about here. That's the way it is. How come you pick up that phone? Because you want to see if it's broken. But you have to look, don't you? Tonight I want to look at biblical pictures of a broken nation. And I understand that America is not Israel. We're not even close. We're on the other side of the ocean. But I do believe that if Israel was broken... I believe there will be certain parallels to see if America is as well. So there's no beauty to this sermon. We're not overcomplicating it. Tonight I want to show you the first picture that Jeremiah points to is this. An unfaithful bride. An unfaithful bride. Verse number 2, Jeremiah begins his sermon as if the Lord was speaking. And it's actually quite sad. You ever heard that saying, remember the good old days? God is reminiscing the good old days. He says, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee. (laughs) The kindness of thy youth. The love of thine espousals. Espousals there means the state of a bride before her marriage. 
literally means bridehood. I remember you. And I remember the relationship that we had. What's gone wrong? God looks at Israel in the state of idolatry that they are in, the state of uh, morality that they've now arrived at. And he looks at them and he says, what has happened that, that we had such a, a good love in the beginning, the, the young kind of love, you know, what we call the honeymoon stage, where when your wife snaps back at you, you think it's cute because she's got vim and vigor. Seven years later, it's just annoying. God's recalling the honeymoon stage with Israel. He's saying, I remember when we started. I remember the beautiful relationship that we had. It was built on a strong foundation. Oh, it was built on a man of faith, Abraham, the, the father of Israel, if you will. It was built on a man of faith. In fact, it was built on many men of faith. Men like Jacob and Joseph. And Isaac, it was built on all these men who, who displayed faith. Moving forward, you look at men like King David and, and King Solomon, even in his younger reign. Man, these guys were men of faith. But you know, when God's speaking here, He's not just pointing out those few men. He's pointing out the individual acts of Israel's fellowship of Him. Look, I want to draw your attention to this. Verse number 2. When thou wentest after me in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown. Now, if, if I think of Israel, I have to be honest with you. Especially the wilderness Israel. I do not imagine or recall to mind tremendous faith being displayed. In fact, what I, I look back towards is a bunch of complainers. A bunch of people who looked at Moses and says, it would have been better for us to die in Egypt. There were no graves in Egypt. You've brought us out here to die. What are we going to eat? Oh, the olives in Egypt. When you start craving olives, you know you're hungry. Oh, the cucumbers in Egypt. That's just weird. Nobody likes cucumbers. Even in sushi, it's the worst part of sushi. Some of you are like, I have no idea. The worst part of sushi is the uncooked food. <laughs> Amen. Well, you are in Texas when you say that. <laughs> they were craving all these things. I don't imagine Israel as this monument of faith. But God looks at the most simplistic things that they did that exhibited faith and recalls them with great affection. He says, I remember... When I put a man in front of you by the name of Moses, I remember when he came to you with the idea that y'all would escape Egypt. I remember y'all being doubtful at first, but I remember when he asked you to put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and you did that. I remember when you left Egypt and you had no one to, to lead you. I mean, you had Moses, but even he was working by moment by moment instructions. All I did for you was put a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. And I remember the, the fellowship we had as you walked one step in front of the other following my leadership. I remember those days. You know, when America was first started, it actually had the, a very similar beginning to that. Just a group of people following God one step at a time. 
They had a strong foundation. God points back to the small moment in time when Israel did that which was right in his eyes. Not only did they have a strong foundation, they had a safe haven in God. The Bible says in in verse number 3, Israel was holiness unto the Lord. It was a perfect relationship the Lord had with him and the first fruits of his increase. Notice this, all that devour him shall offend. Evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. God watched after Israel. God protected Israel. How do you think that a slave nation was delivered from the superpower of the world that time? God worked for them. God gave them a promise back in Deuteronomy chapter number 30. The Bible says, See, I have set before thee this day life and death, good and uh, uh, good, uh, life, life and good, death and evil, and that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee. You know, the Bible goes on to say, But if thine heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shalt be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that ye shall surely perish. You know what God told them? I give you a choice. I've made an everlasting covenant with your father Abraham, but I make this covenant with you. If you follow after me, I will bless you. If you turn away from me, I will have to chastise you. That's the, it was a pretty simple agreement, actually. God says, you follow, I'll lead. You turn away, I'll drive you back. God did so much for Israel at this time. And you know what's amazing? God looks back on that time period with great fondness. When he was having to fight all of those battles, when he was having to attend to them every single morning with manna, did you know God likes being proactive in your life? It's not bothersome to him for you to ask him for your daily bread. It does not worry him when you come to him with issues. God just looks at it like another Red Sea. It ain't no big thing to him. They had a a tremendous time where God looked at them with great fondness, but Jeremiah looks at them as an unfaithful bride. While the relationship began in tender love, it eventually ended in adultery. They began to cheat on God. They had turned their back on God and turned to other gods. The picture here is of an unfaithful bride. Secondly, I want you to see the second picture. It is of a forgetful wanderer. Verse number 5, the Bible says this. Thus saith the Lord, What iniquities have your fathers found in me, that they are gone from me and have walked after vanity and are become vain? You see, they are leaving the Lord looking for other sources. They're looking for a satisfaction. They're wondering, the Bible goes on to say, Neither said they, where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt? That that led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and of pits, through a land of drought and of the shadow of death, 
through a land that no man passed through and where no man dwelt. God says, look at what I've brought you through. And yet when you arrived and everything was good in your life, you forgot all about it. You know what he says they were forgetful of at first? Their lean years. They were forgetful that it had not always been in Canaan. They were forgetful that the land had not, uh, they had not always resided in a land that flowed with milk and honey. God said, you forgot the lean years. Did you know Americans have not always driven as nice of vehicles as we do now? In fact, of the first 102 uh, 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 pilgrims on the Mayflower, did you know that uh, about 45 of them died? The harsh winter, no shelter, unprepared people, Nearly half of everyone who came to America at first died. America has not always had this economy that we have. The the bounty that we indulge in so frequently. Did you know in 1929 something occurred? It was actually right on the backside of our stock market collapse. But we went through what was known as the Great Depression. How many of you remember the recession in 2008 and 2009 when everybody was worried that everything was going to come to an end? Did you know that our recession in 2008 and 2009 is estimated to only have affected America 1% in their gross domestic product when the, recession, the Great Depression actually affected America 15%? Let me say that more clearly for you. America was in something 15 times worse in 1929 than what we faced in 2008 when everybody was shutting down and businesses were closing and people were losing homes. You know, America has not always enjoyed the bounty. But God has been good to our country. God has given us so much. And he looks at them and he says, Don't you remember the lean years where I I brought you through those and I held your hand all the while? You know, it's fun talking to older folks as they recall growing up on uh, the most simplistic kinds of food. They talk about cooking with lard all the time. They talk about eating beans all the time. They talk about getting cornbread as a treat. And we go down to Luby's and we have our choice of whatever we want. Golden Corral, man, you can eat till you croak in there. God says you've forgotten the lean years. Not only had they forgotten the lean years, but they had ignored their current blessings. Verse number 7. And I brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But when you entered... You defiled my land. You know, a good word there also could be, you abused it. And made my heritage an abomination. I had planned for you to have all of this, and instead of utilizing it and stewarding it, you abused it. You know what we as Americans have done? God has blessed our nation more than any other nation in the world, financially, with the freedoms that we enjoy. 
man, I, I see someone begging on the streets and I, I certainly feel bad for them. But there is not this great deal of pity that goes over me when I see a 25-year-old man in raggedy blue jeans begging. If you want to succeed in this country, you can succeed. I don't care what your background is. I don't care where you come from. If you set your nose to the grindstone, you can be something in this great land of ours. God has blessed us. But I'm afraid we, like Israel, have abused it. We've abused it in many ways, but probably the most, the, the, the most obvious way is we've been unthankful for it. As if, as if living in a, in a home with enough rooms for our children is not enough. We need playrooms. We need uh, walk-in closets. I'm not criticizing those things. What I'm saying is we, of all people, should be thankful. Not thankful that we have been uh, uh, put here to make this money. No, we ought to be thankful that we weren't born on the other side of the border. We are just so close to being in their shoes. And yet for some reason, by God's sovereignty, He placed us where we are in the position that we are to enjoy the things that we have. We ought to be thankful. My goodness, we ought to be thankful. God has been good to us. And He looks at Israel and He says, You've come into this land of bounty where the land flows with milk and honey and there's as much as you can enjoy and you've abused what I've given you. They had neglected to be thankful for their current blessings. Even though they had forgotten their lean years and neglected to be thankful for their current blessings, here was the most sad part of it. They had assumed His presence was there. Look at verse number 17, or verse number 8. I brought you into a, 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 verse number 8, the priests... And all of this and all the blessings and all the bounty of where I had brought you from to where I had brought you to. The priest said not, where is the Lord? And they that handle the law knew me not. The pastors also transgressed against me. Those who should have been the most concerned with whether God's hand was present and working in Israel had neglected to even ask the question, do you think God's in any of this? They just assumed it was their good deeds, I suppose. They just assumed that they had worked hard for all that they had. And yet even the priests would not look at one another and say, look what God's doing. They weren't even asking if he was involved. You know, there's a story in the Bible of two very wise people, two very spiritual people who forgot about Jesus. And they just assumed that he was involved in where they were going, and yet he wasn't even close. You know their names? Mary and Joseph. One day they get in this convoy, if you will, and the Bible tells us they just assume Jesus is there. And for a whole day they miss out on the presence of Jesus. Let me challenge you with this thought. Do you think the devil can give blessings? Do you think there's any chance in the world that the devil could give a Christian a promotion? You say, well, why would he do that? Oh, I don't know, to keep his eyes on the promotion and off God? What we need to do 
As Christians, we ought not to look at things and say, boy, look how life is so good. I'm so thankful for life. What we ought to be asking is, is God involved? And do I at this moment find myself in the center of God's will? Because in Israel's case, uh, one of the pictures of a broken nation was that nobody was even asking the question, is God still working for us? What a sad thing it would be if we as Christians did not realize that the blessings were not, not coming from God, but they were coming from the devil to keep our eyes on blessings. As if they are some source of whether our life is, uh, or there's some indication on whether our life is pleasing to God. You think Paul's life pleased God? I would say so, and yet he suffered shipwreck five times, was beaten of the Jews three times. Uh, he was imprisoned many times. You think Jesus' life impressed God? Oh, I'd say His life pleased God, and yet He had no place to lay His head. Christian, I challenge you tonight. What we need to do is we need to ask ourselves, is God involved in all of this? Rather, am I making God the center of my focus? So that way other things do not distract me from pleasing Him. The first picture is of an unfaithful bride. The second picture is of a forgetful wonder. Third, and will be done this evening, is of a broken cistern. Verse number 9, I want you to see, the Bible says, Wherefore I will yet plead with you, saith the Lord, and with your children's children will I plead. For pass over the isles of Chittim and see, and send under Kedar, consider diligently, see if there be such a thing. Moving forward down to verse number 13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me the fountain of living waters. And hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You see, I want you to notice tonight a contrasted consistency listed here in the Bible. And don't let the words uh, uh, distract you. Look in verse number 10. Now, I don't always understand a lot of Bible geography. It's not one of my strong suits. But I did some research. In verse number 10, the Bible says, For pass over the isles of Chittim. Okay? That would be islands in the Mediterranean Sea. So if you imagine, oh, I don't know, an island off of uh, California. Right? Because the Mediterranean Sea would be west. Imagine a bunch of islands off of the the coast of California. That could be the Isles of Chittim. And then it goes on to say, and send unto Kadar. Okay, Kadar became known as the Far East Land. You know what he's saying? Send someone from coast to coast. From sea to shining sea. Well, why, why does he say that? Send someone as far as you want and consider diligently and see if there be such a thing. Well, what kind of such a thing is that? Verse number 11. Hath a nation nation changed their gods? Notice that is little G-O-D-S, which are not yet gods. But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. God was now contrasting Christians with believers of other false religions. Saying, if you travel all throughout the land, you'll find this group of people who bow their knee to Baal. But you know what amazes God? How consistently they do it. God is impressed with their zeal for their God. 
And he says, and yet my people who have truth, who know the true God, look at me and they are so wishy-washy. They're now looking for other idols to serve. God contrasts the consistency of false believers with that of our own. Christian, what does your faith look like when compared to a radical Islamist? People giving their lives for their God as if it would please Him. And yet we struggle to get out of bed for Sunday school. Look, you want to know one of the ways that I know Christianity is the right thing? is because God's people have always been wishy-washy. He's truth and He is right, and yet we cannot muster up the attention to, to show Him honor and worship? God, this is Jeremiah speaking for God, thus saith the Lord. And God looks at the Christians, looks here at the nation of Israel and says... I cannot believe that a nation who has no truth is more faithful to what they believe in than what you believe in. The true God of Israel, the creator of all, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and yet you cannot stay faithfully serving me. What a stinging question. That when we begin to consider whether we would go on a two-year mission for our faith, Sometimes that's a little bit difficult of an answer. God is contrasting these people. And, and, and then he moves forward and he says, and it's such a confusing choice because look in verse number 13. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Okay, good. The, the fountain of living waters here speaks of spiritual blessing. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, a spring that is never uh, uh, depleted of its source. They have forsaken me and hewed them out, cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. A fountain of living water speaks of a well in this land. A well that is dug deep. Now I did a little research on wells today. Did you know that in soil that is able and capable of holding water, underneath uh, us at all times is a, a vast supply of water. In fact, many of the wells that we drill, they drill straight down and what you're looking for is an aquifer. Right? That doesn't even, it sounds like a bottle of water, I know. But, but it's an aquifer. And I did not know what an aquifer was. I assumed... Uh, that it was a river of flowing water. It's not. In fact, almost every single well goes into a rock. This kind of surprised me. Some rocks are not capable of allowing the water to flow through, while some are more porous and do allow the flow. When you have found an aquifer, what you have found is you have found a rock that is able to supply the water that is there. You think there's any significance that God is our rock? 
Do you think there's any significance that in Isaiah 44 he says, I will pour water upon him that is thirsty in the floods on dry ground. I will pour out my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. Do you think there's any coincidence in Isaiah chapter 12 verse 3 he says, Therefore with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. The spring of living water, God is saying, I have all you'll need and I have all you can ask for. And yet you have settled for cisterns. You know what cisterns are? Uh, If you can imagine, surface water. Like a, a stock tank. A stock tank that is not even capable of holding water because it's, it's got holes and it leaks water to other places. You have hewn out holes in the ground to collect overrunning water and yet it goes away. All the while you're not so far from the living water, the rock that supplies all your needs. You're never far away and yet you've chosen the wrong choice. It was confusing to God that when he was put on the stand against a false idol that he could ever lose out. Let me ask you, has God ever lost out in your life? Have you ever allowed something to take his place? Maybe it was a job. Maybe it was a hobby. You say, I would never... Well, let me ask you, what receives more of your attention and money? God or other things? You know what we as Christians have done in America? You know, our country is not broken because of crooked politicians. Our country is broken because of sidetracked Christians. We've stopped serving God the way that we should. It breaks my heart the, the, the level that is accepted in Christianity today. As long as we read our proverb a day and we say our prayers at lunchtime, that is acceptable. We expect people to look at us with some level of honor. If we just uh, uh, pray for someone, we actually tell them we're going to pray for them. What a shame. The level of mediocrity we accept for a God who is worthy of so much more. God says, your job, your, your, your idol has taken place of me. And it confused him. Oh, we are a broken nation. Not, not because of others, but because of us. And until Christians are willing to accept responsibility and make changes necessary, you know what's going to continue to happen? America is going to continue to be broken. America is broken for the lack of broken Christians. Nothing breaks us anymore. A sermon that brings a tear to our eye. A song could never speak to our heart. We're not broken. That's why America stays broken. I'm here to tell you tonight, it's a sad thing that we have so much access to a God who can supply so much and we ask for so little and expect so little to be done in our life. When I was younger, I was dumber. In fact, I'm still pretty dumb. But when I was was younger, one day we walked out into the yard 
And uh, we had there in, in one of the pastures on the property, we had uh, a, a mule. His name is Possum. Many of you know Possum. JT rode him. That's what killed him. Um, <laughs> Possum was a short little mule. He's only about, oh, I don't know, maybe 14 hands high at the, the highest. He's white and he was speckled with gray color around. And uh, He was stubborn as a mule. That's why they say that. But he really was. I mean, to catch Possum was a great ordeal. But Possum was smart. Because Possum knew when he was caught, he just surrendered. Uh, Possum was a smart dude, but he was also good at evading getting caught. Possum was a a fun mule to have. And so we had this pasture for Possum. We also had a water trough for Possum. It it was a a horse trough. And Possum could come over anytime he wanted to and drink from that horse trough. Well, one day, me and my sister and our friends were outside playing, and I got thirsty. And uh, I decided that there was water available, so that's the water I went for. I mean, just a few hundred yards, well, not even a few hundred yards, maybe a few hundred feet away is, is a house with bottled water and tap water all right there. But I chose to drink from possum's water. You know what made me sick? It literally, physically made me sick. I chose the broken cistern when just a few feet away was a fountain of living water. I'm here tonight to just bring to your attention that unless we look to see if America is broken, we'll never be able to acknowledge that it is. And unless we identify the location of the cracks, it's not governmental. It's not political. It's not fiscal. It's not based upon our export, our input, our gross domestic product. It's not based upon race. It's not based upon history. It's not based upon educational systems that want to teach all sorts of liberal studies. It's not that that is broken. Unless we as Christians identify that we are broken. And the level of commitment that God expects from His children and from Israel, unless we get to this level, we'll never make a difference for God. Jeremiah preached a poignant message and I hope as we move forward to be a blessing to you. There's a part, I don't know, maybe point ten or 11 of this series. Nearly brought tears to my eyes. So I hope that Hope it will be a blessing to you as we study.